Oh, did you see me make that jump? Pretty good skateboarding, if you ask me. Hi, I'm Bruce Walsh, the director of University of Regina Press. I'm also the host of How Books Happen, this being podcast number two. We're the show that's all about the challenges and joys of making books. I've got some great interviews for you from big national and international book events I attended earlier in the year. But first, the backstory of how U of R Press went into business with the Regina skateboard entrepreneur. Michael Langan is a young Indigenous man who had a dream, and that was to build and sell skateboards with a difference. Skateboards that tell a story, as well as giving you a smooth ride. That led him to us with a pitch to pay tribute to our all-time bestseller, Clearing the Plains, by James Daschuk. If you haven't encountered this book yet, it describes the deadly decisions made by Sir John A. MacDonald to realize his national dream. He used famine to move First Nations people out of the way for European settlement and the railway here on the prairies. Thousands of people died. We're still living with those consequences today. Michael Langan wanted to bring that story to both Indigenous and non-Indigenous youth. In fact, he was inspired by the book to start his company. He wanted to use the cover of Clearing the Plains as a skateboard graphic. When you hear the passion in Michael's voice in this conversation, you will understand why we were thrilled to say yes. My name is Michael Langan. I'm from... uh... Cody First Nations. Uh, I reside in Regina. I've lived in Regina for well over 20 years now. But um, yeah, I started a skateboard company called Colonialism Skateboards uh, out of Treaty 4 territory in Regina. Uh, It's just about, let's see, in August it'll be two years that I've had the company. So it's still fairly new. (laughs) But yeah, I'm here today because um, I've I'm, I'm just going to be releasing a skateboard uh, it's on uh, James Daszczuk's uh, book, Clearing the Plains. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a dream graphic that I've wanted to do for since I've started the company or even like before I wanted to start the company. I wanted his book to be on a skateboard because I thought it was important for people to uh, read the book and understand the history attached to the book. Yeah, so it's the sixth graphic uh, for the company so far. And uh, yeah, it's really cool to be here. And when did you read the book? I started doing more research on First Nations history, right? And um, then this book came out and it just, all the ideas started going inside of my head about like educating people on First Nations history. And I didn't know how to do it. Like, am I going to write a book? I was like, no, there's already like literature out there. There's already like award winning books about First Nations history out there. So I, uh, I wanted this book to be the first graphic, but at the same time, there was the, it, Jim uh, talked about, um, the past system, the past system, you know, the past system Mm -hmm. was in the book. And I started doing more research on the past system inside this book. So, uh, did you know about the past system before you read the book? No. What that's no. How, what was your no. response to that? Uh, it was. Uh, it's 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 such a terrible history, you know. I um, it's really sad to hear about it, you know. 
and uh, the effects that it had on First Nations people's lives, you know, in those communities. It it was pretty devastating to like learn about that, but then I um, I started doing my research, and then I started asking my uh, my mother about the past system, and then she remembers her uh, the past system on the reserve, and she remembers Indian agents on the reserve, and she remembers her her father having to leave the reserve with the past, right? And her great grandparents as well talking about it. So they weren't yeah. allowed to read, leave the reserve without. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the pass, yeah. without the pass yeah, given to yeah. them by the Indian agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was bad. Uh, I can't re- like I remember my mom talking about the Indian agent, and he wasn't a good man. So that's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he had all the power. Yeah, he had all the power for everything. He controlled everything on the reserve, and yeah. people had to behave yeah, in order yeah. to get a pass yeah no yeah exactly he was the one who gave the pass out and if you weren't good or he didn't like you you weren't leaving anywhere right yeah, couldn't even go to funerals yeah well exactly or even visit your kids in residential schools or go to town go you know anywhere go hunting you know anything like that they couldn't they weren't allowed to do anything right so it's like hearing about that and then like looking at the way uh, the Canadian government's running everything right now it's like that power is still there, you know? It, it It's still there. People are like, well, the Indian agents aren't gone, but it's like, no, the the, the, the Canadian government and INAC and all that are the new Indian agents, right? So, yeah, it's a pretty devastating history, but it's still going on, right? Yeah, it's yeah. still being played out. Like, the funding for First Nations kids or the funding for clean water, the funding for, you know, schools, you know, like it goes on and on. Right. Yeah. And the kids are killing them. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we have like huge colonials and problems in this country and they're 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 trying to say it's like mental health issues, but it's like it's a huge colonialism problem. You know, it's a huge control problem that they've had for a long time and it where the youth are suffering you know these communities are suffering like a lot and reading the book how did that change you did it give you power yeah yeah it gave me uh i guess some power to uh overcome like um a lot of things you know to speak up you know about uh stuff that i see or i hear from people you know uh I don't know, like, about superhuman powers, but it gave me power to, like, believe in, like, uh, I guess, reconciliation, you know, get the truth out there, trying to help that process, you know, uh, with this skateboard company. And it's working, like, uh, it's, well, I think it's, like, slowly working, you know, it's, like, uh, it's, a, it's it's still a fairly new company, but it's it's getting there slowly, you know, and I think, like, this board graphic right now will really help the uh, the reconciliation process like I don't care about like uh, the money or anything like that like all I care about is the history that people will learn from the skateboards and the skateboard graphics you know that's all I care about yeah. and uh, skateboarding though uh, yeah. you obviously you decided to, to start the company because skateboarding is something that you're into yeah it um well, with starting the company and with the the skateboarding, it just went hand in hand. I've been doing it for like a long time. I've been skateboarding for a long time, like oh, 21, 22 years. I don't even know. I I 
I don't even know how long I've been skating. So you were a little kid when you started yeah, skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little kid, and I remember like um, seeing it. I remember seeing some kids uh, outside of Camp Sack. That's uh, a town right outside of my reserve. I seen some kids like skating and like the baggy pants and like you know they're rolling up curbs and they're like kick flipping and like the sound of everything just like it just drew me in like completely you know I was like whoa what is that it's like I got it like I I need that you know and my mom she uh, I remember telling her being like yeah it's like I I I want a skateboard it's like I want one she's like well we can't afford that you know of course like money's always tough right but. She ended up buying me this used skateboard, and then um, I had to find all the other parts for it, and I tried, and I, I couldn't, you know. So then she bought me brand new, like, trucks, wheels, and bearings, and she told me not to tell my stepdad. She's like, Mike, don't tell him that you got this from me. Just tell him you got it from a friend, because we can't afford this. He, he can't know that I spent all this money on you, on a skateboard, you know, but... You know, fast forward, you know, like a couple decades there. And, you know, I, I'm i starting a skateboard company that like, oh, you know, it means something. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. You know, it's like uh, to think back, you know, on like what my mother like sacrificed, you know. And I remember my stepdad just like not liking skateboarding. Be like, this is all you this is all you do. You know, it's like. Go do some homework, go do your chores. And I'm like always out on the streets like skating and like he didn't like it at all. Yeah, at all. But my mom always supported it. She always supported it because she always seen that I was doing something and it was keeping me out of trouble. And I was like focused on something and it was active, right? I wasn't sitting in front of a TV or, you know, what I don't know, kids do, you know? Yeah, uh, it's skateboarding is awesome. It's fun. It's cool, you know? I really enjoy it. So I hope like with this graphic, um, people will buy the board and then they'll like want to get the book, you know, and read the book and read the history on the book and understand it and discuss it with people or like even with teachers, I get uh, messages from teachers wanting boards. It's very exciting for me. Yeah. I, I'm 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 very happy to be here and be doing this. <laughs> well, I gotta say, you get, you certainly given us a lot of street cred. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with your, no, with your, with your skateboards, yeah, that's for sure. No, it's cool, definitely. And like every, pretty much everywhere that I go, that I talk, do do speakings at schools, or I went to the Winnipeg Art Gallery. I always talk about Jim's book. It's like. This is, there's a lot of good history in here. You know, this is how, like, the company pretty much started was, like, when I read this book and started doing my research and wanted to educate people on it, you know? Yeah, that's just, it's awesome. That was Michael Langan, founder of Colonialism Skateboards. Book publishing is like any other business. You have to get out there and sell your product. You also need to be aware of what's happening in the culture, see what the competition is up to, and constantly sign up new authors. In the book trade, that means traveling to big conferences, as I do all the time. I'm going to take you to a couple of these. We begin in Toronto, where I attended the Association of Canadian Publishers Midwinter Meeting. That was back in February. Lots of my publishing buddies were there. I'll introduce you to some of them, beginning with this very theatrical woman. 
Let's see what makes her tick. My name is Annie Gibson, and I'm the publisher at Playwrights Canada Press. We are a very small press in terms of staff, but a large press in terms of output. We do between 25 and 30 books a year. Um, most of them are new Canadian plays, and we do a few books about Canadian theatre as well. Um, so either biographies or books of essays on uh, any given topic in Canadian theatre. Um, personally, I got into publishing uh, sort of on on a whim, um, a job opened up at Playwrights Canada Press in customer service. Uh, it, at that point, it was a two-person company, uh, and I came in and I said, "Here's my resume." And the publisher at the time was Angela Ribeiro, and she said, "Oh, wonderful! We haven't even posted the job yet." Um, and I, I spent my first year there packing boxes. We did our own distribution, uh, so I've learned the company from the bottom up. Um, I am now the publisher. Uh, Eleven years later, it's my first. Uh, sort of the first company I've worked at out of university. Uh, I don't think I'd work anywhere else in publishing because I love the marriage of plays and books. Um, in terms of my own favorite books, uh, they're not often plays, although I do love many of the plays we publish, but um, I, I was thinking about books that inspired me when I was a kid because I used to read a lot of like children's literature. Um, and anything by Gordon Corman is my favorite thing in the world. Uh, I was really excited. I got to meet him a few years ago and he signed my old copy of the war with Mr. Wiz. Uh, I also really love the Zucchini Warriors because it's about a football team, um, but a girl from the girls' school across the street sneaks in and uh, sort of runs the whole show, and she's she's very inspiring. Her name was Kathy. Um, yeah, I was also thinking about the books that inspired me in school, um, and of course, To Kill a Mockingbird is beautifully written, and I absolutely adore it. Um, but it was later on in high school that I read The Handmaid's Tale, um, and it was one of the best books I've ever read. It is still one of the best books I've ever read, but secretly my favorite, favorite Margaret Atwood book is uh, The Robber Bride, um, mainly because it's set in Toronto and I like all, how all the different characters fit together. Uh, and my whole family reads it every couple of years because we're nerds like that. You probably <laughs> run the most award-winning press in the country. How many, how many Governor General's awards have you won since you uh, oh. started with the press 11 years ago? So maybe seven or eight. Um, the, there aren't a lot of publishing companies that publish drama. Um, so, so we tend to have at least one nomination in the in the running. Uh, there was one year, my proudest year, was we had all five finalists, and we had a nomination in the translation um, category, which we won. Uh, so, yeah, that was a that was a big year for Playwrights Canada Press. That was that was a really nice year. <laughs> Hi, I'm Margaret Bryant. I'm the director of sales and marketing at Dundurn Press. We're based here in Toronto, and Dundurn is 45 years old. Actually, we're still owned and operated by the same originating publisher, Kirk Howard. And uh, Dundurn is a general trade publisher. We publish teen and adult fiction and nonfiction, almost entirely Canadian authored. In the past year, we've had some phenomenal successes. We've had nine national bestsellers. We've had five starred reviewed, and 22 of our books have been nominated or won an, a major award. Upcoming is The Slip by Mark Sampson. It is, I think, Mark's second novel, his second novel with us, anyway. And it's also very topical in that it's about a somewhat absent-minded professor who uh, is a very, he, he's a pundit, he's often invited to TV and radio shows um, to talk about uh, different aspects of business and in a particular show he has, a, a, he's on a panel 
in which there is a woman who is really uh, aggressively pushing his buttons. And because of his mind is not really on the show, it's actually thinking about a fight he had with his wife earlier in the day. He makes a slip of the tongue. He's very embarrassed. It's about something about the business environment and he recognizes it's a mistake and he's really embarrassed. But he has to keep going on. The show continues and at the very end, he's really getting into it with his fellow panelist. And she says something and he responds in a really aggressive way, not realizing that what he said is uh, has a very negative, misogynistic connotation. And he's totally clueless. And be and But the studio audience goes crazy. It blows up online immediately. But because he's not aware of social media and online activities, he doesn't realize. So it takes place over the course of nine days as this fellow uh, comes to terms with what he said and, uh, and how it has affected his marriage as well. So it's not just public um, blow up, but what happens behind the scenes as well. This is everybody's fear right now, isn't it? Getting caught in social media, saying something stupid, the next thing you know can ruin your life. Exactly. It's called exactly. The Slip. That sounds the slip, great. The Slip by Mark Sampson. Uh, my name is Neil Christopher. I'm one of the owners of Inhabit Media, um, which is a Nunavut-based publishing company that publishes primarily Nunavut authors. Um, we've been operating for about 11 years. We publish uh, almost all of our books, except for maybe one or two in Inuktitut and in English. We publish also a few titles in Inuinoctan, which is a Western uh, a dialect, um, an Inuit dialect from the West. And uh, we're publishing a small percent of our, our uh, lists in French. Um, in 11 years, we've, we've somewhere around 250 titles. Um, we focus, I'd say, 80% of our list is children's books. And, and then the rest, uh, you know, YA novels and adult books. Um, we are really focused on, um, on kind of literacy, Inuktitut um, language erosion, trying to prevent that, trying to keep uh, Inuit able to speak and learn their language, uh, as well as cultural literacy. Uh, we have a real interest in um, children's books that are steeped in, in kind of cultural stories. Um, growing up, a lot of the, and for children even now in Canada, a lot of the children's literature or classic children's literature read is, is inspired by European folklore. Or, um, and we really feel strongly that um, there's rich Canadian stories, Indigenous and non-Indigenous stories in Canada. And this is where Canadian children's literature should, should be based on. Um, it's all part of our identity. I'm Vicki Johnson, and I'm the publisher of Caitlin Press, and more recently Dagger Editions, which is our new imprint. Uh, we're based on the Sunshine Coast in BC, which is a small community about half an hour out of Vancouver by ferry. I bought the press eight years ago, going you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, it's a 40-year-old press, though. We're turning 40 this year. Dagger's turning one. And uh, it was originally started in Vancouver by some women who... Um, it, w it was started as a feminist um, press that did, focused on feminist women's poetry. We rebranded it ourselves. It's still a regional press, but we refocused it. So um, we now say it's where urban meets rural. So the idea being that uh, we do books that have that are kind of a conversation place for both audiences. But we also uh, brought back um, the women's mandate, and so we very much focus on women's stories uh, of VC. And then last year we launched Dagger Editions, which is, um, I think, one of Canada's first and maybe only queer women's imprint. Oh. So we're doing that. We have, uh, um, we, have we publish about 16 to 20 books 
per year, and most of them are under the Caitlin Press mandate, so we have a combination of rural stories and women's stories, and, and then we're adding one or two books a year that are Dagger Editions. I have to ask, why the name Dagger Editions for a queer women's imprint? That's a very good question. We actually ran a contest. Um, from the very beginning, we've been saying that uh, da- we want Dagger Editions to be a press that is you know, representational of the community and that we want their input. So we ran a contest, and we, t- we had about 25 um, variations of names, and uh, Dagger Editions was one of them. And the, in- the interesting thing about Dagger, of course, its, it's origin is Dagger Dyke, um, which at one point in time was... Um, you know, term um, for queer women, and uh, over the years that became kind of a derogatory term, term as we all know. And so um, the feeling amongst the community was it was a taking back of something that had been used against us to hurt us. And so, what do you have coming up that you're excited about? This year, we signed a Roderick Hay Ground book that uh, was originally published. I think he published mostly in the 40s, and uh, he was. He is known as one of BC's strongest naturalists. Um, uh, so he was writing books about the environment um, back in the 40s and 50s. And uh, this book, and we have parks and highways and things like that named after him. And this book was never really published in the trade. Um, and it's uh, it's called Allison's Fishing Birds. And uh, so it's about this little girl who uh, lives by the the river and she encounters all these birds and she has all kinds of conversations with them and they they inform her about their role in the environment and uh, the foreword is, was written by Andrew Nikiforic and he makes the point that um, what you know what is now becoming so obvious that uh, that we're you know, such a big part of the environment and if you make if you start changing one thing everything's going to change and follow and not always to the best so he makes that uh, um, that comment that that's what why Roderick Hig Brown's work is still um, really relevant today. And, but the best part about it is that we have another queer woman, uh, Cheryl McDougall, and she is uh, an artist, and she illustrated, and the illustrations are fantastic. So. That was me, meeting the cream of Canada's publishing industry in Toronto. Now, to an even bigger event. The London Book Fair in the United Kingdom is, in fact, one of the biggest shows in the world. If you go there, you'll bump into publishers, authors, media, booksellers, filmmakers, tech gurus, and everyone else connected to the book industry from all over the world. And back in March, when I was there, I chatted with some Canadian publishers about their impressions of the show. Hi, my name is Nancy Malik, and I work for Fernwood Publishing. Uh, We're a national Canadian publisher with offices in Halifax and uh, Winnipeg. We focus on the social sciences and humanities. We have quite a lot of depth in in certain areas like criminology, social work, um, Indigenous studies. Um, All our books are in some way, shape or form, they deal with social justice issues. Uh, This is my first book fair. And I have to say, it's a little overwhelming. A little overwhelming. Describe the scene for us here. It's wall-to-wall people. and They either have their heads like two inches apart in in little conversations, whether they're selling rights or conspiring with, you know, prospective authors. Uh, I don't know. Or they're looking at their tablet or their phone trying to... Uh, see what their next appointment is, and then you see them look up and try to figure out where is that booth. Because 
the layout here is a little baffling. The, the venue that's hosting it, well, it has old world charm. Old world charm and no air conditioning. It's pretty <laughs> sweltering in here. Old world charm indeed. So it, it's a little weirdly laid out, but you know, the book world is, is a very friendly place. Everybody is interested in everybody and what they're selling and what they're publishing. Um, there's a lot of energy here. Lorraine Coates and I work for UBC Press, and it's a scholarly publisher. We publish 60 to 70 books a year in the social sciences and humanities. And right now, I am standing here at the London Book Fair, and it still feels like a dream that I'm here. Um, it was my lifelong dream to go to Frankfurt, and now I realize London's actually better, so that's great. <laughs> and how did I end up here? Um, which book changed my life? I'd have to say A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle. I think that was the first book I read that really changed my whole view of the world. And I realized at that point how powerful books could be. And I grew up in the church, and I remember going and asking questions about this book at church, and they were very unhappy with me. So I also think that was the point at which I almost lost my religion. And it tumbled from there, but it did. It changed everything, and I realized how powerful they could be. So it was the beginning of your own personal reformation. There you go. Thank you, Madeline. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> and how long have you been in publishing? Um, I have been in publishing. I actually got into it right out of my undergrad. I started at University of Alberta Press when I was 22 years old. And then I left for a while to teach English in Japan, um, but I quickly rebounded back two years later. So I have been in publishing for some time now. Publishing sort of an addictive business, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Once you fall, I'm in love with it. I'm in love. The people are wonderful, and you just, I mean, you know that you're doing something worthwhile in the world. I'm Don Gorman. I'm the publisher at Rocky Mountain Books, based in Victoria, British Columbia. And I'm here at the London Book Fair to meet with a number of publishers from the UK, Poland, Germany, Russia, Slovenia, and France. What are you going to do when you meet with them? Well, we sell a lot of rights, international rights to our mountaineering history books um, because there's actually a great appetite for mountaineering history outside of Canada uh, because we actually do publish some Canadian authors who specialize in mountain history from Europe for the most part uh, and there's a great market for that outside of North America. So you do mountaineering books, Rocky Mountain books obviously, what other types of books are you publishing? Uh, we do a lot of environmental books, uh, we're really getting into higher end photography books as well. Uh, we generally publish 30 to 40 titles a year not including reprints or new format reprints. And that basically runs four mountaineering titles, four guidebooks, a couple of kids' books, and now we're doing four to eight higher-end photography books every year as well. Wow, that's a lot of books. How many people on your team? There are four of us. How do you manage that? No, actually, it, it works really well. Um, three of us have been there since I took over 12 years ago, which is fantastic. So we have a really strong core team. Uh, and then Rick Wood is with us now. He's, he's my assistant. He's been there for three years. And then we work with a couple of very you know, focused freelancers as well in terms of editorial and design. So they know what we do, they know our aesthetic, uh, they know our style. And how do you get your books out into the world? I mean, you're here, you're obviously selling rights. What other, what other methods do you have uh, to make that happen? So in Canada, we are distributed by Heritage Group Distribution, which is based in British Columbia. Uh, in the U.S. And, and throughout the world, we're actually with PGW, uh, which is based in Berkeley, California, and they're now part of Ingram. So they're one of the largest uh, book distributors and sales and marketing companies on the planet. Uh, so it helps us a great deal. I mean, you know, being a mid-sized Canadian publisher, to actually reach that market is pretty tough. Uh, so we've noticed a, a nice increase in terms of our title production and, and sales throughout 
North America and, and Europe as well. And you actually got into this business uh, through the sales repping end of things, if I remember correctly. I did, actually. I started as a bookseller. I worked as a bookseller when I went to university in Victoria, and then I had a bookstore in Calgary, and then I worked for the Literary Press Group as a sales rep. And that's probably the best training I think any publisher could ever have. You know, because you actually have to look beyond the words. You have to think about what the book's going to feel like, what the price is, uh, the format. You know, what does the consumer want? What does the market want? What does a bookseller want? And uh, it actually makes publishing a heck of a lot easier. Tell me about the, the role of the, of, the, of the sales rep. Um, it's something that most people, I don't think, know anything about. You know, the sales rep, they're still very important, but I think their role has fundamentally changed. They're now more of a diplomat. Um, because you actually can't go into a retailer anymore and strong arm them into ordering a book. You know, it used to be you could go in, present your titles, and they would say, okay, I'll take 10, I'll take 20, I'll take 30, we want to do an event. They're actually now out waving the flag uh, for the publisher, and, and sometimes the author and sometimes the distributor. So uh, they're very political in terms of, of how they interact with retailers, and they're still very, very vital. The larger retailers are almost entirely dependent on data, so most of my job in terms of because I also sell nationally and internationally for a group of publishers. So, so that's Indigo and Amazon and Costco and those big retailers. And most of that is data-driven. So they generally don't seem to care who the publisher is or who the distributor is. They want to know the hardcore metadata stuff. How's it going to fit within their store? What are comp titles? You know, when's it coming out? How big is it? How much does it weigh? So it's a totally different gig in that regard. But traditional reps are still out waving the flag and pressing the flesh and, and hugging everybody, which is great. Just where we started in the business. But I want you to dig a little deeper into that into that metadata thing and sort of unpack it for people. What does that include and why is it of real value? Metadata basically includes absolutely everything. Um, and every book now has to start with metadata. So those are your keywords, those are your specs, that's about the book, it's about the author, where the author's from, who you are as a publisher, what's the price gonna be, what are comparative titles, uh, it's a, basically a massive spreadsheet, and it is the roadmap for where this book is going to go and who's going to be interested in it. It's tough to read, it's not sexy, and it's not exciting, but it's absolutely vital um, to the ways in which you're going to market, promote, and distribute the book. And uh, you got into this business, obviously, because you have a love of the word. Where did that begin? You know what, I actually have a love of books. Um, I don't necessarily have a love of the word. There's, there's something about, and it sounds so cliche now, I mean, we've gone through eight years of people whining about ebooks and talking about the beauty of paper and all that sort of garbage, but it's actually true. Um, I like the physical object. I like what you can actually do with the words. The words are very, very important, but the way in which you present them is just as important now. There, there are a lot of publishers who are publishing or producing terrible-looking books, and I think it's our role as publishers to actually produce beautiful, great, interesting objects. And now is a fantastic time to be doing that because there really aren't any rules anymore in terms of how you produce a book. You can do a little book, you can do a huge book. You know, they don't all have to be five and a half, eight and a half, and 1995. You know, that, that's really boring and done. So, so now's a great time to take words and really play with them physically and turn them into something very unique. And did you have a book when you were a kid that really inspired you, uh, that really made you a reader? You know what, the, the first one that pops into my head would be Curious George, and I don't know why. I mean, it's such a great book, but when I read that to my kids now, well, when I did read it to my kids, it's a really problematic title. You know, it's, there are a lot of bad things in that book, um, but it's still fantastic. I mean, aesthetically, it was, it was a book that stood out on the shelf. It was different than a lot of the other kids' books at the time. So, so yeah, that one really did influence me. 
I love Curious George too. Yeah, not politically correct anymore, uh, but that's how culture changes. Yes, it does. Yeah, and it's actually fun to reread it as an adult, sort of post postmodern, and and read it to a child and say, you know, it's not great when you go to another country and put something in a bag and bring it back to your country and dress it up. That, that's not cool. So, I think we call that stealing. I think we do. Or yeah. colonialism. I think it's colonialism. Yeah. yeah. That was me with some of the incredible people I ran into at the London Book Fair. But wait, there's more. Podcast subscribers will see we've added digital extras this month. Interviews I did with some international publishers. The battle for Mosul has always been more difficult from one day to the next. The Kurdish Peshmerga fought their way towards Mosul, one village at a time. 1,600 of them lost their lives fighting this extremist group. For Iraqi troops, it was a house-to-house -house battle. It was a vicious, bloody, and destructive war. That's an excerpt from a recent documentary by Kurdish journalist Ayub Nuri. Ayub has written a new book for us called Being Kurdish in a Hostile World. The book couldn't be more timely, with Kurds in the Middle East voting in September in an independence referendum. We'll be back with How Books Happen number three in advance of that referendum. I'll bring you an interview with Ayub and his thoughts on the future direction of the land of his birth. Until then, we'd like you to send us an email to let us know what you think of the show so far. Send it to U of R Press at uregina.ca. That's U of R Press at uregina.ca. I'm Bruce Walsh, host an executive producer of How Books Happen, and I'm working with producer Sean Perpick and Morgan Tunzelman. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs>